Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number 2. We just got a few verses of scripture there. We're going to go carry on over into verse number, chapter rather number three as well. Again, uh, chapter and verse divisions is kind of something that came, came after the matter. And so we're just going to pretend tonight as though uh, this chapter division is not even there this evening. Amen. Remember this coming Sunday is a fifth Sunday, so there will be one service here in the a.m. And uh, you're going to be hearing from Brother Mason on Sunday and be hearing from Brother Mason on Sunday and so uh, you know a, a fresh voice I had Brother Seals here Sunday last Sunday night Brother Mason's going to be here on Sunday and so uh, you don't want to miss that be excited uh, to have him here Sunday morning ministering the word of the Lord John chapter number 2 and I'm going to begin with verse number 23 and reading on through verse number 8 of chapter 3. The Bible says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. And whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That's probably the extent of how far we will get tonight before Nicodemus replies yet again. Tonight I want to speak to you on a lesson here in our series called simply this, Tell Me What You Know. Tell Me What You Know. No. Hallelujah. Father, I come to you here this evening. I'm asking, oh God, for your aid, for your help. God, we need your spirit, Lord Jesus, in the teaching of your word. God, lift, Lord, the words off the page. And Lord, cause there to be application, Father, for our life. Help us, God, to see, Lord. I pray, God, what you would want us to see, hear, listen, and understand. God, what you would have for us to understand here from the Gospel of John. And will not fail to thank you, Lord, for, God, your word. God, in the truth of your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you here this evening. We know thus far in the Gospel of John, as we have studied up to this point, that there is really only one miracle that we have record of here in the fourth gospel thus far. And that miracle has been the one that we studied in chapter 2 
of turning water into wine at the marriage of Cana of Galilee. However, when we come to verse number 23 that I read in your hearing tonight of chapter 2, the Bible seems to indicate to us that Jesus did more than just the miracle at Cana in Galilee. It relates to you and I that in Jerusalem during the time of the Feast of Passover, there, there around about, that Jesus did miracles, a plurality of miracles that he did during this time frame of being at Jerusalem during Passover. We may not have the record of them in Scripture, but they happened nonetheless. There were miracles. John tells us in the end of his book when it's all said and done that if everything that was written that he did and was accomplished, it would, you know, the books would just pile in the valleys of the mountains if we recorded everything. And so, and so there were, were some, some miracles that, that took place, place at Passover. Passover. As a matter of fact, verse 23 tells us that many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. And so uh, not only do we have uh, Jesus doing miracles in Passover week or during Passover in Jerusalem, but evidently these were public miracles. Uh, which, uh, which was, was somewhat, somewhat different than, than what happened, happened in Cana, Cana of, Galilee. of Galilee. Remember, Remember that, that miracle was more of a private, a private type of setting. Uh, his, his mother, of course, knew what happened. The servants who drew the water knew. His disciples probably knew. Uh, everybody else just got the benefit from that miracle, but may not necessarily knew how that came about or that they were without, and then Jesus made their a supply. But this evidently is a public matter because many believed on his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Something uh, that is typical throughout the Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, and that is often miracles that are done by Jesus or uh, even by his disciples. These miracles were oftentimes done for uh, a purpose in part to draw a crowd to the, the, the region, the area, or to the people who drew a crowd to where the miracle took place and where it happened. And often what would happen then after the crowd gathered as as a result of the miracle or miracles, then that disciple or Jesus himself would then direct the people's attention toward some greater truth. All right? Uh, you have a gathering of people because of the miracle, and then Jesus would direct them toward some greater truth, a truth that would no doubt surpass the miracle itself because the miracles are great, all right? No, no one's going to say they're not. But in essence, miracles are, in, in reality, not to be anything more but complementary to his word, complementary to him. They do not take center stage, but they play roles that are supportive of what's going on on center stage. And so many times, miracles done, crowds gathered, and then Jesus or his disciples would direct their attention to some greater truth. For instance, even in the Gospel of John that we will come to, in weeks later, uh, the Bible tells of a miracle that Jesus healed a blind man in John chapter number 9. But it's in that setting or in that time frame of healing the blind man then that he declares to those that are in earshot or the multitudes or those that are aware of it, he declares to them that he is the light of the world, the greater truth. Also in John, we read in chapter number 6 that Jesus in, is one of those uh, stories that's recorded of him feeding the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000 that takes place. But it's in this same time frame in vain after feeding the 5,000, the multitude with loaves and fishes that he declares unto them that he is the bread of life, the greater truth. And, and so, so many, many times, times miracles were used that, in that way to bring people uh, attention together to convey some type of greater truth to them. Because in reality, folks, same then as is for day, uh, today, Jesus didn't want people simply just to believe because of his doings, but he wanted them to believe because of his being, because of who he was. All right? Uh, Jesus desired uh, through his earthly ministry and even still yet today, he desires more than a crowd. He's looking for a church. 
right? Uh, crowds, there's flux with them. They increase, they de decrease, they expand, and then they fall away. You see that even through the scriptures. Sometimes Jesus would go up the mountain to do a little further teaching, and the multitude, that was the base of the mountain, didn't always make it to the peak because it required a little bit more effort on their part to get there. Right? right? And, and so, so he's, he's not, not interested in a crowd. He's looking for a church. And, and so, so, for instance, uh, when we understand that in John 6, where Jesus fed the multitudes, uh, uh, the Bible says that he went a little distance. He went across uh, the Sea of Galilee and he came to a place, and there were also some other little ships that came and followed him. And Jesus, uh, in the most diplomatic and kindness way that he could, he kind of, kind of called them out on the matter. He says, You're following me because, because you, you ate, ate the loaves and the fishes. That's what, what he said to them. He said, you're, you're following because of the loaves and the fishes. In other words, uh, and I'm not real sure, I might be making up a word here, but he was telling them their followership was based upon his doings, upon what he had done. But again, Jesus wanted a people to follow him for who he was, his being, his character. If you will remember, this is already uh, set as a stage and a background in the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Because we remember from John number one, amen, that the Bible records that the world knew him not. His own received him not. But... As, as many, many as, as did receive him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. God. So, so he's, he's wanting to be known by not what he does, but by who he is. All right? And, and so, so I'm, I'm saying all that here this evening because Jesus here in the scripture, they believed in his name when he had done these miracles in, during Passover at Jerusalem when they saw the miracles that he had done. But the next verse tells us, though, although they believed in him because of his miracles, the Scripture says that he did not commit himself unto them that believed. He did not commit himself to them that believed in his name after having seen the miracles. If, if I, I may put, put it just a little bit plainer here this evening, they believed Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe them. Amen. And the reason being is this, folks. The scripture goes on to tell us that Jesus knows man. All right? Jesus knows man. He knows what is in man. Jesus doesn't need somebody else to witness or testify on the behalf of man. Jesus knows the heart of man, right? He doesn't need another's testimony. What that comes down to is this. We can't fool Jesus. We, he knows our intentions behind even our actions, right? So, so he did not commit himself to them because evidently he knew something about those that were, quote, unquote, believing in his name for his miracles' sake. That, 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 that wasn't a, 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 a truism, if you will, for him. Their belief that they were exercising. And so what we have here in the scripture, this whole miracle and then what is conveyed as a belief of the people really brings us to a point of greater truth that is about to be expounded in John chapter number three. There's that pattern of miracle belief and greater truth that is expounded. For that matter, whenever we consider some of the rest of John about Jesus knowing man and knowing what is in man, there are some conversations, start right here in John chapter number three, that's gonna bring uh, that point to the surface and it's gonna highlight that point. Because Jesus is going to begin to speak to Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. And really, he's going to talk to Nicodemus about some things that have not been made known, but Jesus knows. Later in the scripture, when we look at John 4, whenever Jesus has his conversation with the Samaritan woman, again, is going to come to the surface that there's some things that don't have to be said that Jesus knows. 
and he knows the very uh, intense, if you will, of man and what is in man. Because the Bible tells us, starting out in verse 1 of chapter number 3, that it would have really been, folks, it really been sufficient for John to tell us that there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night. That would have been sufficient. But... As can be seen in verse number one, he tells us, and I don't believe this, uh, you know, God, God in his word, he doesn't, he's just not frivolous with words. If he's using words, he's using them for purpose. All right. And so he tells us after we talk about how Jesus knows man, Jesus knows what's in man. He comes then, if there's no divisions there of the scripture, he comes and says, there was a man of the Pharisees. Named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Tying right in with everything there. In other words, Jesus knows something about Nicodemus. For that matter, Jesus knows something about mankind. But we have this Nicodemus who is a ruler of the Jews. He is a Pharisee according to the scripture. And Nicodemus comes to the Lord. And the Lord knows him without him saying anything, just as he knew Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. The Lord knows him. Nicodemus comes as a ruler of the Jews. He's cloaked, if you will, in all of his tradition of the Jews, ceremony and status of the Jews. But Jesus knows him at his core. Right? Jesus knows him uh, outside and beyond his status. Jesus knows him as the man that he is. And the scripture gives us some details about Nicodemus. First of all, of course, it tells us that he is a Pharisee. What that relays to us is this. It for sure means that this is a man, being a Pharisee, one who is very much steeped in tradition, very much steeped in the ceremonial laws of his day. Uh, the word Pharisee itself means a separated one. He's an individual, part of a group of individuals that were known to keep or at least attempt to keep every detail of the law of the scribes, this was the type of personality and character that we had in Nicodemus. So, and I want to try to stitch things together as we go. So you have this type of man that's approaching Jesus, steep in tradition and ceremony, and think how Jesus has already uh, come into interaction with ceremony, all right, and tradition through what he used the ceremonial water pots for. And, and what, what he, he did in the, the temple, temple with their sacrificial, sacrificial means, right? right? Of buying and selling and all of that. And so, so here comes a very traditional ceremonial man unto the Lord. And uh, he's coming. And what's going to happen in this scenario is that Jesus has really already been challenging the trappings and the ceremonies and all these things. He's been trying to call them to out to a higher purpose. We're going to find out that Jesus is even going to do this for the man, Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee. It isn't a surprise that Nicodemus would come to Jesus. Uh, because it was a group of Pharisees, we read back in John chapter number 1, that went to seek out and to espy or interrogate John the Baptist whenever he had been baptizing. They, remember, they came and asked him, are you Elias? Are you that prophet? They come interrogating him. Well, the, that group was sent from a sector or a group of the Pharisees unto John the Baptist to check him out. So now we have from the same group a man, Nicodemus, coming to check Jesus out all right and for that matter throughout the book of john you're going to come to find out that the pharisees are the primary sect or the chief party if you will of those that are available pharisees sadducees scribes pharisees is a chief party uh, within judaism that that oftentimes refuted and opposed many of jesus's claims in the fourth gospel in the gospel of john and so not only is, is Nicodemus a Pharisee, but the Bible says he was a ruler of the Jews, which means most likely that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a 70-member uh, body of Jews, which kind of made up of, the best way I can put it, kind of made up the Jewish Supreme Court. <laughs> In certain ways, it was their, their Supreme Court in a certain measure. So that's a pretty prominent role. Among the Jews. So here's a, uh, the contrast is here's, here's a pretty notable man among their society coming to Jesus, a man who 
throughout scripture will be revealed to be really the most notable man of all the world had ever known or seen. But at this particular time in John 3, Jesus is only known by, to Nicodemus for that matter, he's only known by his miracles. The Bible even tells us as much here in the scripture that we'll look at in verse number two in just a moment. But there's a couple of things. The Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. I'm just going to share with you a couple speculations of why the by night type of coming to Jesus. Why not day? There's a possibility that Jesus may have come to, or Nicodemus may have come to Jesus by night because being of the Sanhedrin, of that high-profile sector of the Jewish people, perhaps he wanted to keep this meeting somewhat under secrecy of going to Jesus. Or another speculation might be the reason why Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night because it was known in that day it was custom for them, particularly rabbis, who that's what Nicodemus even addressed Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher. Although we don't necessarily see him having any former, uh, formal training as a rabbi, yet he addresses him as a rabbi. Typically, rabbis were known to keep studying into the night, all right, uh, even in isolation. And so this would be a good opportunity for someone to shave off some time and be able to find Jesus alone and by himself. Nonetheless, the Bible tells us in verse 2 that Nicodemus is there because as others had come around him because of Jesus's miracles. He tells us that we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest. So Nicodemus is there because of the miracles. We have no record. We have no record in Scripture that Nicodemus saw a miracle that Jesus did. We have no record that he was there when Jesus performed one of his miracles. But we do know that he states, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And so when he says, we know, perhaps Nicodemus, and this is a total perhaps, maybe he's speaking on behalf of himself and perhaps some of the other Sanhedrin members. Maybe some of them saw Jesus do one of these miracles. And you know how it is among politics, they talk. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about, Sorry about that. that. But, but anyway, anyway uh, there, there is conversation among them. And so maybe he could say, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And nobody does miracles like these except God be with him. But look, look here. Very important. Look what happens. Because this is really kind of peculiar. I know in my Bible, as a heading to chapter number three, it says Nicodemus questions Jesus. And he does later, but he doesn't come out of the, 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 the shoot asking questions. He comes with a statement. Right? And, and so, so what, what we, we have, have here, here Jesus, Jesus makes the statement about miracles in verse number two. And then, and this almost seems like it's from left field. And then Jesus starts talking to Nicodemus about being born again in verse three. Nicodemus makes a statement about miracles. Jesus starts talking to him about being born again. Wow. What's going on here? It almost seems like this is coming from left field. Jesus transitions into what is required in order to see or rather to enter the kingdom of God. And so we're asking ourselves the question, Lord, what's the connection between these two? It's almost like Jesus even didn't pay attention to what Nicodemus had to say. And he's going straight to the fact about being born again. Well, for one, let's consider again. For one... The miracles, it seems, may have initiated this meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. That's typical. We've already looked at that. A lot of times miracles cause the drawing of a crowd or brings attention. But as with most miracles, if it draws a crowd, Jesus or for his disciples, he then wants to direct them to a greater purpose or a greater truth. That's, That's bigger, bigger than the miracle. All right? And, and so, so the greater, greater truth beyond the miracles that, that Jesus did at Passover that, that we don't have any record of outside that they, they took place is that, that Jesus, Jesus wants to convey the importance of the born-again experience. For that matter, I'll even back up how in the previous lessons we talked much about the concept and the idea of a witness. 
that among anything else that, G, that Nicodemus is saying in this moment, he's saying, I need to take opportunity right now to be a witness to Nicodemus. So here we have Nicodemus. Here it is. Listen again. Nicodemus says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And whether he knew that for himself or whether he knew that based upon some other of the Sanhedrin's testimony because they were there and they saw the miracles. Regardless, he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And yet Jesus in his answer in verse number three is going to answer the unasked question by Nicodemus. How in the world? What are you saying? I'm saying this. Remember, Jesus knows all men. And he knows, he knows what's, what's in man. man. I'm not, I, don't I don't have, have no grants to say I know this for sure. sure. But, but I, I wonder, wonder if in Nicodemus was the question about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, how to see it and enter it. May not have spoken it verbally, but since Christ knows man and what's in man, while Nicodemus talks about miracles, Christ starts to talk about being born again. He answers an unasked question by Nicodemus. For that matter, let's look at it like this, folks. Ultimately, Jesus understands what the real need of mankind is. Right? He knows man and what's in man. And the real need he knew that needed to be addressed, whether it be for Nicodemus or for anybody else, is that they need to be born again. Amen. And, and so, so he starts, starts with these words. He starts with this verbiage, if you will. Let me read verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, these are glorious verses of Scripture. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus comes out of the shoot with this born again terminology. But I want to relate to you today, folks, that the born again terminology was not something new to their culture or time. Listen to me. Even in this uh, predominantly also Greek society in which they were stationed, the Greeks in their mystery religions believed that an individual could go through the suffering of a God, that's a little G-O-D, and that God's triumph ultimately to have that God's life. They believe so a person could go through a God's suffering, a God's triumph, and get that God's life. And when they did this, what the Greeks termed that as, what they considered that as, when they went through his suffering, his triumph, and or ultimately to secure his life, they considered that being twice born. All right. However, when we talk about born again, applying to a Pharisee like Nicodemus, or to a ruler of the Jews like Nicodemus, that was unheard of. Because any individual from another faith or another religious belief or another sect of society that changed or adopted Judaism was considered reborn by the Jews. In other words, if a Greek came a part of Judaism, all right, that person was considered reborn. If they were some other uh, religious faction become a part of Judaism, they were considered reborn. But the Jews believed that they were God's covenant people from the beginning. Nicodemus was a Jew. He was part of God's covenant people. And yet Jesus tells him later in Scripture, verse number 7, while he's talking to him about all this born-again aspect, he says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Because the kingdom of God thing, it's not a Jew thing. It's not a Gentile thing. All right? It's not a Greek thing. It's not a Roman thing. It's a God thing. Hallelujah. You might, the Greek might get, if you will, reborn and become a part of Judaism. But the, 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 the faith of Judaism and the people and the Jews and those that are part of that, they have to be born of water and spirit to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. But what I'm getting at tonight is this. The terminology was not foreign to Nicodemus or this people. The Greeks used the idea of twice born. The Jews, even those uh, that would change their faith into Judaism, amen, considered them reborn. 
So Jesus is using terminology they already have a certain familiarity with in certain places of society and now trying to bring them to its, its, its purpose, its reason, its validity for them concerning the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had a tradition, yes, he had a ceremony, yes, he was a good keeper of the law as all Pharisees try to do, they try to keep the law and have that in their favor, yes, he had a ceremonial uh, water pots, if you will, of John chapter number 2, and the traditional temple of John chapter number 2, but Jesus is driving home this point, that he wanted him to know, he wanted society to know, that there was something better, if not even of greater importance than all that, and that was being born again. Amen. If you look at verse number seven where he told him, marvel not that I said that the ye must be born again. The ye must be born again. The ye is plural. And so what that means is he's encompassing more than Nicodemus in this. That circle perhaps encompasses the Sanhedrin, but he was a member of the Pharisees, perhaps he was a part of. Perhaps that plural ye encircles the whole world that we'll find in verse number 16 that God so loved that he gave his only begotten. Hallelujah. Because the scope of the Lord, even particularly here in John 3, was more than a Jew thing. Huh? I know there's times he says I've come to the those of the house of Israel there are times of that but then we see it getting breached open a little wider and encompassing Gentiles and Samaritans but here from even John 3 and 3.16 he loved the world Amen. so much that he gave his only begotten son for them and so Nicodemus we, we, we glean from verse number 4 that Nicodemus didn't totally understand the correct aspect that Jesus was speaking of when he said, born again, and with good purpose, perhaps. With good purpose. When we look at the scripture of born again, amen, there are various meanings to the word again, all right, in the scripture. It can mean again or for the second time. It can mean completely, radically from the beginning, or it can mean from above, or if you will, from God. And so we see Nicodemus, we see his understanding as he poses the questions in verse number four. How can a man be born when he is old? Well, that kind of lingers toward one definition of again. In other words, can a man, can an old man go back to the beginning, right? Huh? Huh? Or, or, or how, how can, can he, he enter, enter the, the second, second time, is the word that the, the, our, our English Bible, Bible uses, the, the second, second time into his mother's womb and be born. Again, that, that kind of renders to that fact of again or the, the second time rendering of, of meaning. But, but then, then Jesus, Jesus clears the whole picture of it up, this born again experience of what he's meaning, conveying, concerning born again, as Jesus all times does in Scripture, further explanation. Let me say something that brings me great comfort about Jesus. Many times when he first answered people, they didn't understand what his answer was, and he gave further explanation in order to clarify what he said. That gives me great comfort as a pastor, because I don't—I'm not always understood the first time. Amen. Sometimes it takes further explanation. Amen to understand. And so Jesus gives further explanation concerning this born again. As a matter of fact, you see what Jesus uses here in Scripture. Whether you're aware of it or not, it is really a literary device that we see often in the Bible. Uh, we see it played out many times in the Psalms great, greatly within the Proverbs and what's, what's known in literary structure, a literary device as a parallelism, which basically says there's one line and like then another line kind of gives more detail or interpretation to the first. So what I'm saying is this. We see what Jesus says in verse 3. And then after Nicodemus' questions in verse number 4, we see what Jesus says in verse number 5. Verse number 5 parallels verse number 3. In verse number 3, the Bible says, Jesus said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
the further detail, the interpretation, the further explanation of Jesus to Nicodemus is in verse number five. It parallels verse number three. Except a man be born of water and of spirit. So he's further defining what this born, born again is. Born of water and spirit. He cannot enter. That even gives explanation. Because the first time he said you cannot see the kingdom, the second time he gives further explanation. He cannot enter into the kingdom. Cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's a plain literary device of parallelism, amen, that is being used here in the scripture. And so everything that Jesus is relaying to Nicodemus at this point of time, our dear author John the Beloved has already been conditioning our minds and us for in the opening chapter of chapter number one of the Gospel of John. Because John told the people, he told them they needed to receive Jesus and when they received Jesus, that Jesus would give them power to become the sons of God who were what? Not born of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Or if you will, born again, born from God, born from above. John's already been conditioned concerning these things. Uh, if you consider uh, the gospel of uh, Matthew, Matthew writes uh, a section of scripture there in Matthew chapter 18. When Jesus' disciples were asking Jesus, they said, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, when they asked the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. All right. Now, this is interesting because before Jesus answers their question, he answers the question that they didn't ask. They said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He calls a child, sets him in the midst of them. And before he tells them who's the greatest in the kingdom, he shows them who it was that was in the kingdom. Watch it right now. Matthew 18, verse 3. Jesus is speaking here. He said, verily I say unto you, remember their question, who's the greatest? Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus saying, we got the cart before the horse. Don't worry about who's the greatest until you're in it. And he says, so here's what one is like. You must be converted and become as a little children. In other words, here it is again. If you want to know who's the greatest, let's first get in the kingdom. Amen. Before we start talking about that. And whenever he says you must become as a little children, uh, he's not then through that admonishing us to become like little children in the sense that uh, uh, we're supposed to become innocent or we're supposed to have easy believism. No. Figuratively, he was talking about being born again. Become as little children. Have your new birth. Right? Be born again. It's then after that he finally answers their question about the greatest amen in the kingdom. And he uses the child again to show that you must be humble as a child in order to be greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus is being all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the book of Acts, throughout the epistles, through those who wrote, talking about this born again experience, right? Because what was his purpose that the scripture tells us in the Gospel? It was to seek and save that which was lost. And here's the great thing and very hard for Nicodemus and people like him to accept that they needed saving. All right? And that's a, that's a big speed bump for many to get over still yet in our day. That they need saving. Hallelujah. And so Jesus begins. He, he talks to him about this water. He talks to him about the spirit. But he goes on and weighs heavily about talking about this being born of the spirit or the spirit. And this is, this is there's nothing wrong with this. He's not minimizing the water and amplifying the spirit. What we got to understand is throughout the gospel of John, and I said this in our introduction of the gospel of John, is John has a primary focus through his gospel of largely conveying the spiritual side of Jesus. 
Jesus Christ or spiritual things concerning Jesus. He tells us in John 4 that God is spirit. He tells us in John 4 that our worship must be in spirit and in truth. So he's, he's, he's focusing in on, he's got the microscope on the spiritual aspects of the Lord, the spiritual aspects of the kingdom in John. And so with good reason we see, pinned for us in the pages, Jesus, amen, Focusing on the spiritual aspect because that's what John is in the stream of writing, the spiritual aspect, if you will. But that does not, and I want to say this again, that does not minimize the being born of the water. Amen. I mean, if you read John 14, you read John 16, you know what you're going to be reading a lot about? The Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, clicking up left and right, the Spirit of truth. In those two chapters, there's all kinds of things concerning the Spirit. But here's what we got to come to consideration. And uh, whenever we interpret the chapters here of John, some of the important aspects of interpretation is this, is that you pour the other passages into, for instance, chapter number three. You pour chapters one and two and chapters uh, four through 21. You pour all of those into, into chapter number three. Not only that, you go out a little further in other books that John has penned and been the author of. You pour them into them. And ultimately, whenever we do studies of whatever, we need to pour the entirety of the scope of God's word through it. What, what, what does that mean then, Brother McGee? Well, what that means is this. Water thus far already in the book of John has been spoken of, and it's been spoken of in association with baptism. Jesus being baptized, right? Jesus being baptized. John the Baptist stated even in Scripture, he said, I baptize with water. John baptized Jesus. That that. John baptizing with waters all time, even in God's word, referred to as John's baptism. It was a baptism unto repentance, as the scripture says, right? And so, okay, so being born of water and of spirit, that means we need to be born of John's baptism and spirit. Hold on. We need to pour the whole corpus of scripture through this. Right? Because whenever we consider John's baptism... We go through the pages of the book of Acts and we come up on Acts chapter 19 where there's a group of people from Ephesus that's been baptized, yes, but when asked how, they've been baptized according to what? John's baptism. And whenever it was learned they've been baptized according to John's baptism, what takes place? They are baptized again in the name of the Lord Jesus and when they laid hands on them, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, born of the Spirit, and began to speak in tongues. And so I have no problem with being born of water and of spirit because I'm considering John, I'm considering books John has written, but I'm considering the whole panorama of Scripture and pouring through there. Understand that being born of water is speaking to me about baptism and being born of the Spirit is speaking to me about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. For that matter, culturally, consider just culturally, when some person of another faith, again, came to Judaism, which they were considered reborn, if they came to Judaism from some other faith, it was necessary for them to be baptized. They were supposed to be baptized. And what baptism was doing for them in that moment, it was part, and notice, it was part of their conversion. Not so much so given a confession that they had been converted, was part of their conversion. It helped them cross that social boundary from one community, perhaps a Greek and now a Jew. Amen. As a matter of fact, scholars and history reach that baptism was a vital step in the conversion process. Hallelujah. Amen. Furthermore, the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Amen, Luke, the book of Acts, the epistles that are written, all talk about water baptism and many times in conjunction with spirit baptism.
baptism. Amen. Amen. There, there is a, a baptism, baptism the scripture speaks of that's for the remission of sins according to Acts 2.38. There, there is a baptism the Bible speaks of or baptism in the mode that when we're baptized we call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. The epistle reads that there is a washing of regeneration. Amen. Baptism. So quite frankly, listen to me very carefully. If our goal is to be like Jesus, and it is. He was literally born of the flesh. He was born of a woman, Mary. But he was also born of the Spirit, with the Holy Ghost conceived inside of her. So to be like Jesus, we need to be born of the flesh, but also of the Spirit. Because, because flesh, flesh begets flesh, flesh and, and spirit, spirit begets spirit. spirit. Right? right? Jesus, Jesus hungers and thirsts on his mommy's side, side flesh. But, but he, he feeds the hungry, hungry. Huh? On, on the, the spiritual, spiritual aspect side of his dad. And, and so, so as, as I've, I've already made mention in this study, but I'll say it again. God became a child of man so that we might be able to become a child of God. John 3 and verse number 8, and I'm hastening, I'm just give me another two hours. John 3 and verse number 8, I'm joking. The wind bloweth where it listeth, Jesus says, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Again, here's John in the writing showcasing Jesus speaking about the Spirit. So, the society in which Nicodemus lived was familiar with some type, okay, and I say that uh, broadly and generally like that, some type of baptism. But the spirit baptism was totally new to them. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why John even said, I may baptize with water, but one's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. It's totally new to them. The spirit, spirit baptism, baptism was 100%100% totally attributed to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus explains a little more and highlights this for Nicodemus. He says that the wind bloweth where it listeth. In, in the New Testament Greek, the word for spirit and the word for wind is the exact same word, pneuma. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew, the word for spirit and wind. Same word. Interesting, I suppose. But he says the spirit or the wind bloweth where it listeth. The word wind right there. It's translated from the same word that spirit. So the wind is very similar or like compared to the spirit. So the wind bloweth where it listeth. As the wind, so likewise the spirit. The wind blows where it desires. The spirit blows where it desires. He says, you hear the sound of the wind, but you can't tell where it came from or where it goes. In other words, you hear the sound. I want to stop right here and pause for a moment. He says, you hear the sound of the wind. You don't know where it comes, where it goes. Likewise would be the spirit. It comes, you hear the sound. Everybody say sound in the audience. Amen. Sound. I looked up the word sound. This is interesting to me. I don't guess I never paused just to ever do this. I looked up the word sound in the Greek. It means a tone, a language, noise, sound, a voice. That's interesting to me. He says, the wind, you'll hear the sound, a tone, a language, a noise, a sound, or a voice. See, that really comes into play whenever I begin to think about the spirit. You'll hear the sound, those that are the spirit blowing where it desires. Huh? Huh? You'll, You'll hear, hear the, the sound, sound the, the tone, the language, the voice of it. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse number 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. We're talking about the day of Pentecost, those that are in the upper room, verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, that spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, that sound. So verse 2, you have sound from heaven, and it was the wind. Verse 3, you have, you have the, the spirit, spirit 
and you have a language, you have a voice. Hallelujah. This is in part what Jesus, or exactly for that matter, what Jesus is making reference to. He says they shall speak with other tongues, verse 4, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they're dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised, Abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Amen. What sound again? Tone, language, noise, sound, voice. Describing the wind, likewise the spirit. And so we understand that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about something that will be made available, all right, to all nations and every people. Through Through his his own death. death. All right. right. He's He's talking talking to Nicodemus about something something that that will be available in reality. Later in John 7, we'll look at this when we get there, but Jesus, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. And there's a little phrase there that John includes for our understanding. And John relates that the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And he is making reference to being crucified on the cross. Nonetheless, Jesus informs Nicodemus in verse number 8. He says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus informs Nicodemus that everyone that is born of the Spirit will produce sound just like the wind produces sound. They They will will produce produce a tone, a language, a voice. I guess what I'm trying to convey is this. It's not that some do and some don't. He said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so we stand back in just this little setting of Scripture tonight and think, how? How can all of this that Jesus explained and said flow from one man's simple recognition of Jesus' miracles. miracles. Because, because all that Jesus, all that Nicodemus really did, and I'm closing, all that Nicodemus really did was shared with Jesus what he knew about Jesus. And so Jesus turns it around and shares with Nicodemus what he knew about mankind. They needed to be born again. And the voice of Jesus that sounded in that day and that knowledge that he had of mankind then no No doubt doubt stands, is still yet yet true for mankind mankind today. You You need to be born again of the water and of the spirit, or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So tell me, please, what do you know? Amen. God bless you tonight. I'm going to pray here. Brother Mason will be here on Sunday. Amen. You don't want to miss that. I'm going to pray tonight that God would take his word. Amen. That it wouldn't just be tucked back in some dark cobweb corner of our mind somewhere, our heart. But he would bring it to the forefront of our minds, the forefront of our hearts. Let it weigh heavily there as we ponder, amen, his word and what Jesus spoke to Nicodemus being applicable for all of mankind. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.